Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Scroll. So we have a very special guest today, somebody who's been a mentor and, and guide to me for a long time and uh, lots of fantastic ideas, which may be a bit new to our audience. Uh, and that is Mr. Alan Weiss. Hi, Alan. Hello. Good to be with both of you. Can you tell us just a little bit about your background? Our audience may not know you as well as we do. I don't know. How much time do you have? <laughs> um, maybe 60 seconds and we'll get <laughs> okay. into the meat of it. Uh, I am a refugee from the corporate world and then a refugee from the corporate consulting world. I used to consult with Fortune 500 companies. Uh, today, I'm basically a coach globally for entrepreneurs like yourself, uh, and I have thousands of people in my community. I've written more books on consulting than anyone ever, and uh, uh, I get a big kick out of it. I love what I do. Fantastic. And one of the things that you're excited about is one reason we were excited to talk to you, among many, is that you're really interested in conversations and language. And you even wrote a whole book called The Martial Arts of Language. And we talk a lot about how technical people can use language more effectively. I wonder what you think about the, the role of language for a consultant or for a, uh, uh, in the corporate world. Well, language controls discussion and discussions control relationships and relationships control business. So language is immutable. Uh, you have to have it. And, you know, my father-in-law used to say he was, my father-in-law could look under the hood of a car. And, and these are the cars, you know, before modern electronics. And uh, he could fix anything under there. But he would say to me, you have to have the right tools. You can't fix anything without the right tools. And language are our tools. And you can't really be as effective as you like unless you have the right tools, the nuances and the flavorings and the connotations and the denotations and so forth. So the more tools you have, the more successful you're going to be as a consultant or anything else. Fantastic. And what can people do to improve? Well, if you want to improve your language skills, uh, you have to improve your vocabulary. Uh, I started something long ago where if I didn't know what a word was, if I read it or, or heard it, I would make a note of it or I'd rip, rip out the, the page, assuming it, you know, it was my book and not someone else's. And uh, I'd look up the definition and I would try to use it immediately. Uh, in something I was writing or in my speech. I try to use it three, four, five times. And then it gets into your, your memory. Uh, and I, um, uh, that, back then it was you know, a word every two weeks. And today it's maybe a word every two months. Uh, but uh, we're looking at each other right now. And you can see behind me here, I still have the file cabinet. Uh, I don't use it like, I don't do it electronically. I put them in index cards. So I'm forced to write it down. I'm forced to look at it and read it. So that's number one. The second thing is uh, you have to look at people, writers especially, who impress you and ask yourself why. What are they doing with the language that impresses you? And what you're going to find out, you know, 10 times out of 10 is that uh, their language is active and colorful. So they use metaphors, they use analogies, they use comparisons. Uh, and uh, I wrote a piece the other day and I said, uh, when confronted, his generosity disappeared uh, like the Cheshire cat leaving only a smile. Now, that's the ability to convey something without being uh, boring and dry. Well, when he was confronted, he, he uh, withdrew his offer for the money. I mean, so uh, you, have to, you have to listen to and read people whose language impresses you. And then the third thing is never, ever, ever dumb down. This advice to dumb down your attire, dumb down your language, think about the people you're talking to, is absurd. You wanna raise people up, you wanna dumb yourself down. So never be afraid to use language. I know people who are afraid to use language because they feel they'll be seen as aloof or you know snooty or something, it's ridiculous. And Jeffrey, one of the things we talk a lot about is empathy. And I'm, I'm curious what you think, because you're such a theoretician, you, you know so much of the theory behind what we advocate. 
Where, where's empathy in there? How, how, how would you think about empathy with the, the high quality of language that, that uh, Alan is suggesting? Well, I think one thing that comes to mind for me is the vocabulary in part helps you understand what other people are saying uh, so that you can understand the subtle differences between different words. And I'm curious, Alan, if you, the role of language in listening, uh, uh, what role that plays? Well, let's just pick up immediately on what you and Scroll just talked about, because I'll introduce a piece of IP here that is brand new. I've been experimenting with it. No one else has ever heard this. So it's appropriate. What a privilege. Excellent. Uh, And and you just triggered it. Uh, To me, empathy uh, is the ability to feel what someone else is feeling. Sympathy uh, is providing pity for someone else. Those are two different words, and people tend to use them interchangeably. And the IP I wanted to tell you about is this. I was coaching somebody the other day, and I said, look, consider this tough love. But I told them, you know, this won't work. And it occurred to me that um, tough love is really empathy without sympathy. You know how someone feels. You can relate to it. Happened to me. I know where you are. But here's my advice. And I'm not going to feel sorry for you or lighten up because you might be offended. Mm-hmm. And so right there in those two words, you know, which Jeffrey brought up, uh, is a difference that's very important in how we communicate. Uh, and so when you look at connotation and denotation and so forth, uh, you're looking at, uh, these are the tools I'm talking about, the nuances I'm talking about. Got it. And go ahead, Jeffrey. I was saying that's, that's a great example, because um, I think people might be familiar with Kim Scott and Radical Candor, and she would talk about the problem of ruinous empathy. And it's interesting here because she's failing to make the same distinction you are between sympathy and empathy. And as a result, she needs to add the additional modifier there of ruinous to make it clear that <laughs> the negative consequences that come from uh, uh, taking on the pain of another person and therefore withholding the tough, tough love that you describe. There's a funny story, you know, about providing sympathy. It says, well, you, you have to walk a mile in the other person's shoes. But the answer to that is that's because after you give them harsh feedback, you're a mile away and they don't have their shoes. Right. <laughs> <So>. Fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, this reminds me of, um, uh, uh, Alan, I know you worked with a guy called Chris Argyris, who uh, Jeffrey and I never got to meet, but um, we work with a lot of his material. And one of the things he particularly emphasized was not easing in, not giving people the kind of cheap, um, you know, they're there, it's okay, everything's all right. I wonder if that uh, re- relates to what you're saying. Arduous was on my board when I was the president of a consulting firm up here before I got myself fired. But, um, you know, I had the pleasure of working with him and Albert Bandura and, and people of that note, you know, Marty Seligman's appeared at, uh, at some of my conferences. But, you know, Ar- here's an example of language from Arduous, who's an academic, but Arduous said in a book once that uh, someday the modern factory will have only a man and a dog. And the dog will be there to make sure the man doesn't touch anything. And the man will be there to feed the dog. <laughs> you could talk about artificial intelligence and automation and everything, but that really is much more effective. And, and really evocative language as well. Uh, I, I want to shift to something else because I want to make sure we, we get to it. You, you've done something really interesting. You, you've uh, taken all your IP and all your uh, years and years of knowledge and 62 books and, and everything else where you've not really focused on tech people very much. You've coached a lot of tech people, including me, but you haven't really focused in that direction. You've always said, I've heard you say, uh, you know, finance and tech, those aren't really my things. But now you're, you're doing a workshop for, for us tech folks and you're, you're uh, uh, gonna be teaching us how to apply some of these great methods in, in the tech world. What, what made you decide to do that? 
Well, see, I don't think you know, you're a tech guy. You're sort of a humanistic tech guy, if you know what I'm talking about. We, we try. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, was look, I was looking at a sign the other day, ESL, you know, English is a second language. And uh, in the United States here, you know, you press a button. Do you want to hear this in Spanish or English or whatever? Uh, and then it suddenly hit me. What about business as a second language? Because so many consultants don't talk business well, and especially technology consultants who love to talk about technology as though they're always talking to each other. And so my own technical team, which is excellent, you know, I use an outside firm. I'll ask them a question and at least half the time they'll respond in, in technology talk. Uh, and it means nothing to me. So I decided I would do um, a Zoom meeting or a Zoom webinar on business as a second language. It's for people who are technically oriented. It's for people who uh, aren't comfortable with business language. You know, they don't know what uh, uh, FIFO means or, or beta means or so forth. Uh, and it's for people launching second careers and so forth and so on in consulting. Uh, and I thought I would just uh, help them understand, going back to our language conversation earlier, uh, how you can communicate with a business person without having to resort to an interpreter or a sign language or something else. That's great. Uh, we actually was on a, a clubhouse uh, room earlier today that was on the topic of uh, trust in and around the team. And we were talking about particularly the around the part. So if you get it outside of the agile team and the problem of interfacing with the business, and we were talking about exactly this, this point, which is if you're trying to build trust with people, then it's important to be able to speak their language and uh, be able to have shared meaning. We were talking about particularly the idea of shared purpose and shared why, but that only happens if you've invested the time to sort of build that shared understanding. So I can see where this um, uh, BSL, Business as a Second Language, would be very valuable, not just to consultants, but people with inside organizations where they're feeling that they are in a divide between them and the business. And that, that lack of trust uh, becomes a factor. Well, and right. And the onus is also on the person who wants something. In other words, uh, you can't expect an executive to learn to speak technical talk. It's not necessary. But a technical person better learn business talk because it's necessary for his or her survival and for their future. Right now, uh, technology is simply seen as an enabler. Uh, a strategy is set. At some point, the technology people are brought in and they say, do this. Here's what we need. We need a, a, a user interface. You know, We need a customer connection. Do this. But I think the technology needs to be part of the strategy process. And I've invented a new strategy process called sentient strategy. And I, I think the technology uh, has to have a seat at that table so that they can provide their ideas and their visions about what might happen uh, that the other executives in the room could take into consideration. But if you can't speak the language, if you're only speaking tech talk, uh, they're not going to want you there. You're going to end up with an, an interpreter, someone who's been put in place to uh, translate for you. Uh, even if they value technology, and because that's when I heard you describing that, I can I know some people would say, "Well, I want to go someplace that values technology. I want to go someplace where technologists have a seat at the table, and they have the view that that would mean that then they wouldn't need to learn to speak uh, uh, business because they're a place that values technology." But you're, you're saying something else. That's a pipe dream. I mean, if you want an example, look at human resources. There, there isn't a place on earth right now that uh, where human resources has a seat at the table. There might be lip service. But, you know, in the United States, uh, probably globally, if you go back 10 years, you can't name me three human resources executives who become CEOs. It doesn't happen. Uh, and so if you want to look for a place where HR has a seat at the table, it doesn't exist. You know, it's a, it's a chimera. And so uh, if tech people really want to make an effort, instead of searching for some nirvana, 
They should make the effort where they are and learn to communicate with people so it's more impactful. And that fits exactly with our message, which is the, the idea that people can learn skills and uh, take control of their own destiny. That they, rather than waiting for everyone else to figure out how to behave differently, there's actually things, concrete steps that you can do to start behaving differently, uh, whether it's having natural conversations or speaking uh, business. These are, these are skills that you can develop uh, on your own without waiting for other people to change. And if you look at the best tech companies like Apple, what they do is they talk to consumers about results. They don't talk to computer, the consumers about you know, RAM or ROM or memory or storage or anything. They talk about results. And the analogy I use, you know, we talk about analogies and so forth here. You look at the at dental practices, you know, here in the US, uh, some dentists show their equipment and the new chair they put in and all this kind of stuff. But other dentists show people with beautiful smiles, right? And, it, and so the point is people don't buy drills, they want holes. Yeah. People don't want to see your, your, your tooth extraction mechanism. They want a beautiful smile. Uh, and the same thing with technology. People don't care what goes on inside the computer. They just want a reliable, uh, easy to use, effective computer. Uh, and so if you want to make an impression on people within the organization, talk about outcomes. That's the whole point. Fantastic. I can't think of anyone better to learn it from than Alan. So uh, Alan, thanks for being with us. All the details will be in the show notes if you want to join Alan's uh, uh, Zoom live stream, uh, feel free to, to join up for that. You can find him on alanweiss.com and uh, it's a privilege having you on. Thanks, Alan. My pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I wish you both the best. Thanks very much. Folks, if you want to find us, you find us on conversationaltransformation.com and uh, you'll see us there with Twitter and email and all the different ways of finding us, carrier pigeon if you want. And of course, we'll be back again next week for uh, another episode of Troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Alan. Thanks.